One of the things that I've noticed about in my journey with the Lord is that sometimes the Spirit of God speaks to me and kind of gives me a sense of a direction, and I move in that direction, but it isn't until later that I go, oh, now I get it. And I think this is, this is pretty biblical, too. I mean, when you think about Abraham, Abraham was given direction, go to a, 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 you know, leave your homeland and go to a land that I promised you. And little did Abraham know that he would go through all that he went through. And uh, same with, like, Joseph. Joseph had the dreams that he was going to, you know, rule over his dad and his brothers. Little did he know he was going to spend 13 years as a slave and in prison. Uh, and that's kind of been my thing, not that I've been in prison lately, but uh, I, I get these, I get a direction and I move forward and then as I move forward, it's like, oh, now I get it. And about 11 months ago, we started in 1 Corinthians. And the reason why we started in 1 Corinthians initially was... You know, I, I was sensing that we needed to eventually or have a conversation about gifts of the Spirit, but I didn't want to dive into, you know, just go right to Second or First Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. I, I felt like we should look at the gifts of the Spirit in the context of the whole book of First Corinthians, because that gives us a fuller idea of that. And so off we, we went 11 months ago. On this journey in 1 Corinthians, March 8th, we started talking about unity. That was the theme that seemed to be the main thing of 1 Corinthians as we began. That was Sunday, March 8th. Sunday, March 15th, we didn't have service because there was this new unknown virus and there was all kinds of information that was flying out there and so we thought it would be best not to meet that day. The next Sunday, March 22nd, we had our first live stream service, and it was just a handful of us here in the building, and the rest of you were at home, and then some new words became a regular part of our vocabulary, like social distancing, and masks, and Zoom meetings. Hmm. Our live stream out of the gate was pretty rough. But thankful to people like Ben Oliver and Jeff Peterson and others who helped us with the tech and to get things rolling out of the gate. March 29th was our second live stream service and we did communion virtually, meaning all of you were at home while we did communion here. Um, and we initially thought that this was a short duration, this virus thing. But it's become a year-long ordeal, and yeah, it's created an environment for people to be divided, masks or no masks. You're taking my rights away because you're requiring masks, or you're taking my rights away because you don't wear a mask, and you're putting me in danger. And we began to walk through 1 Corinthians, and we talked about unity. Then June hit, and 
There's the death of George Floyd, and there's riots in Minneapolis and around the country, and people, and as they're rioting, are crying out for justice. Do you not see the systemic racism that's going on in this country? People crying out for justice on the other side. Do you not see the rebellion and the violence in the street? And once again, it's creating another environment for people to be divided. Even within the church. How should we respond to what is going on around our country? And words like systemic racism and white privilege became dividing points. And we were talking about unity and the power of the cross and the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, little did any of us know that this theme of unity would be so important to the dialogue of the church. And this is not about oh, me, Brad, and coming up with It's about responding to what the Spirit is saying and doing. Then next came the election, as we know, another dividing point. I mean, it's normal to have some division in the midst of election because you have people of different ideologies, but there are pro-Trumpers and never-Trumpers, and it creates another environment where people are divided, even in the church. And people are crying out for justice, the election has been stolen, and other people are crying out for justice because we have all these conspiracy theories out there. Wake up, it's all lies. And we continue to walk through 1 Corinthians and talk about unity and how pride is destroying unity within a church. Again, little did we know that 11 months ago when we started talking about 1 Corinthians in unity that it would be exactly the message we would need to hear. And this message of unity is something that is a priority for Jesus. Look at John 17, 11. This is Jesus praying, and this is him praying about his disciples that he walked with. He says, he prays these words. Jesus says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus' priority, his main thing, is the church be one. He continues on a little farther in 17, and he prays for us who follow after them. And starting in verse 20, it says this, My prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples that are with him. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me 
so that they may be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Two things that Jesus prays for, unity and that the world may know. I'm never amazed anymore by the Word of God being relevant to what I am facing today. So we continue our journey through 1 Corinthians, and before we move on, I want to take a couple of moments this morning and revisit some of the things we looked at over the course of the last 11 months, and we began by looking at what I think is like the key verse in 1 Corinthians, and that is 1 Corinthians 1.10, where Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Paul is asking earnestly. This is not a, you know, if it works out for you, be unified type of request. This is a look at me, look me in the eyes type of request. I appeal to you. Look, look right here. Be unified. Agree with one another in all that you say. Be united in mind and thought. We are all to agree. And the Greek word there has a sense of not just agree, but agree with what we say. And that's why the NIV puts it here that we are to agree with one another in what you say. Because that's the sense there. It's not just kind of agreeing, but agreeing in what you say and how you say it. This is hard stuff. This is hard work. Unity takes work. There's not supposed to be any division, Paul says. This means no tears, no rips. It's not just, well, you can be you over there and you can be you, you over there. Remember, we're a church. We're the body of the Christ. We're united. If there's a division, that's a tear. It's a rip. Being united is to be mended together again. And here's the interesting thing. It's to be united for a particular purpose, for some use. This is part of this whole message that we were doing in January, the main thing, and continuing on. Okay? It's not to be united for any other reason other than the purpose that the name of Jesus Christ is known around the world. And right now, the church is not known as a united church proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. It is known as a divided church.
And just so we know, this is an impossible task. But that's okay, because anything God asks us to do really is impossible. This is why we need the Holy Spirit. This is why we need Him to empower us and to guide us and direct us. This is why one of our core values is to be Spirit-led. The city of Corinth is much like any large city here in America today, and we dove into this more 11 years ago, but for Corinth, the culture was idol worship and pornea or sexual immorality. There was greed and poverty and then diversity and personal desire was for all about identity, wanting to be a law, be to belong and wanting power and prestige, wanting to fit in. That was Corinth, and that is Minneapolis, that is Fergus Falls, that is really any town in America today. So this message that Paul has been giving us is relevant to us today. There are four themes that jumped out for me as I was thinking about this last year that I just want to touch on quickly in review. Theme one, unity, it begins with Christ. All we need to go back to is chapter one, verses one through three. I'm going to show one, verse two up on the screen. Listen to these words. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Notice who Paul is writing to. He is writing to the church in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, meaning those who are set apart. They're set apart for something else, something greater than themselves. They're set apart for the glory of God, to make the name of Jesus Christ known around the world. They are also, Paul calls them, ones who are called to be his holy people. Called means divine appointment. They were appointed by Jesus to be holy people, and here's the other thing here, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Meaning, every person around this world who says Jesus Christ is my Lord is our brother and sister in Christ. It doesn't matter their political ideology. It doesn't matter their status in the, in the culture, whether they're wealthy or poor. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. It doesn't matter if they're conservative or liberal. It doesn't matter. If they say Jesus is Lord, they are your brother and sister in Christ. And unity begins when I look at every person as my brother and sister in Christ. Part of our problem is 
We look at all the things that divide us. Paul addresses the church and calls them all the things that brings them together. Or the one thing that brings them together, Jesus. Unity begins and ends with Christ. The other theme that we talked about is that around unity is moving past our labels. If you remember, I had this conversation, I brought this up a couple of times over the course of the year because I think it's great stuff, and that is we are, our brains are cognitive misers. I mean, this is good science, and this is important for us to know because this shows us why we respond to different things in different ways the way we respond. So we are, our brains, cognitive misers, meaning... Our brains want to do as little thinking as possible. Now, some of us can relate to that more than others. I get it. And I pointed out a book that I read last year, uh, Disunity in Christ, Uncovering the Hidden Forces that Keep Us Apart. Dr. Christina Cleveland has her Ph.D. in social psychology. So what she does is she studies people and how they interact with each other. And she studies the brain and how the brain reacts and moves. And what they discovered, social psychologists, is that our brains have a tendency to reserve, to use very conservative resources. So, we talked about this before, our brains use the shortest neurological path to get from one to another. And once they've found the shortest path, your brain's going to use that until you get a deep rut in your brain, and now you've got a habit, good or bad. And I used the illustration when we went through this that the first 30 minutes of my morning, I don't need to think. I have a routine. I get up, I go to the bathroom, I make coffee. It, it's just a routine. The problem comes when my wonderful wife wants to help me in the morning and does part of it. Now I have to think. Now my brain is going, what? That's the way it is with all our habits. The shortest. So one of the ways we cope is we spend time with people who are just like us, who think the way we think, act the way we act, live the way we live. And as a church in the 21st century, with automobiles, we can find a church within 30 miles that acts and believes and thinks just the way we do. So now we can go to church and we don't have to really engage our brains. A hundred years ago, churches were more diverse because there was a church and everybody went to the same church. Dr. Martin Luther King said 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours, if not the most segregated hour in Christian America. 
Social psychologists have found that the more homogeneous a group is, the more they think alike, the greater the chance for extreme thinking and extreme beliefs. If I just hang with people that think like me, nobody's going to check my thought patterns. I have a greater tendency to go down some trail that is extreme. And when we do that, we start to label people. And when we label people, we start, remember we talked about right Christian versus wrong Christian. Okay? Wrong Christian is the charismatic Christian, or it's the non-charismatic Christian. It's the Christian who wants stricter gun laws, or it's the Christian who doesn't want any gun laws. It's the Christian that sends their kids to public school, or it's the kid or the parent who sends their kid or home schools. We label people, and our brain, once we put the label on, now we have a short path. We don't have to think anymore. Oh, they're one of those. Bam! Label. Done. Division. No unity. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, does my labeling other Christians as right or wrong help in the desire of Jesus and the appeal of Paul for us to be unified? Unity is hard work because it means I need to take the labels off. And the only label I need to put on somebody who calls Jesus Lord is my brother in Christ. Boom. My sister in Christ. Boom. The challenge is, are you willing to sit down with somebody who has different ideologies but is a brother or sister in Christ and talk to them and listen to them and learn to understand them? Or are you going to label them and call it good? I mentioned before how much I appreciate the elders in this church. We have men in that room who have different opinions on things. And I'm not opinionated at all. I love going to elder meetings, but sometimes it's hard work. But I'll go to the wall with those guys, any one of them. And that's because we don't think about things the same way. And we dialogue, and we listen, and we talk to each other. The other theme is, unity is, stop being a baby. Remember this? I love this about Paul. Talks to people in the church, a bunch of babies. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, I'm going to read it in the message because I think the message just makes it real. Paul says, but for right now, friends, I'm completely frustrated by your unspiritual dealings with each other and with God. That sound like a parent. You're acting like infants in relation to Christ, capable of nothing much more than nursing at the breast. Well then, I'll nurse you 
since you don't seem capable of anything more. As long as you grab what, for what makes you feel good or makes you look important, are you really much different than a babe at the breast, content only when everything goes your way? When one of you says, I'm on Paul's side, or another says, I'm on Apollos, aren't you being totally infantile? Those cut to the heart, those words. I used the example when we talked about this, my oldest son, Jordan, when he was 18 and got in trouble at high school, he was a senior, and he and I had had this conversation, you want to be you know, treated like a man, act like a man. If you don't like a man, I'm going to treat you like a boy. And he got in trouble and just that whole dialogue. And I gave him the option with that one thing. Do you want me to treat you like a man or like a boy? And he said a man, a case, and then go and act like a man. And for me, this is Paul acting like a parent to a bunch of believers who are arguing over stupid stuff. He's saying, do you want to be treated like an adult Christian? Or do you want to be treated like a baby? If you want to be treated like an adult, then act like it. Baby Christians are selfish. They're jealous. They're quarreling. They keep getting the simple teaching of this kind of teaching. It's just a reminder. Okay. The kingdom of God is about self-sacrifice. The kingdom of God is about mutual submission. The kingdom of God is about proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is not about whether one person is better than the other. It's not about this prophet is saying the right thing or this prophet is saying the wrong thing or this pastor is saying the right thing or this pastor is saying the wrong thing. Sound familiar? It's what we hear on social media today. Oh, this prophet is right. And this one is wrong. I think Paul would go, grow up. Stop being a baby. The end of chapter 2, Paul contrasts, before he gets in this, the difference between the spirit of this world and the spirit of God, that the natural world does not accept the things of the spirit of God because they are folly and they need to be spiritually discerned but the spiritual person has the mind of Christ. And so the battle for the follower of Jesus is that we don't walk in the flesh, that we learn to walk in the Spirit. And that takes intentionality, it takes discipline, it takes practice, it takes time, it takes correction. We have to remember that we have the Spirit of God within us, Paul says, and that Spirit of God that is in us is the same Spirit that searches the deep things of God. As a follower of Jesus, I have the mind of Christ. The question is, am I listening to the Spirit? Romans 8, 5 says this, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Where's your mind? Is it on the flesh or on the Spirit? The fourth theme is unity is destroyed by 
pride. Paul addresses the arrogance of the church, and he says in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, he says, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? What Paul was addressing specifically was there was a man who was sleeping or married to his father's wife or his stepmother, and the church was, in essence, proud that they were so filled with grace, and Paul is saying, no, 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 no. That's sin. Call it out. Pride comes in all different shapes and sizes, but we need to know this. Pride, in whatever it looks like, will destroy unity. Pride says, I've got the answer. Look at me. Pride says, I know the right way. Look at me. Humility brings harmony. Humility says, I'm learning and I'm growing in this. I, fully, I don't fully understand what it means to walk in the Spirit or to be part of the kingdom of God, but ju- just so you know, I, I'm learning and I'm growing and that, that's, that's my focus and my desire. I want to do that. I'm, I'm learning and growing. Will you help me? That brings unity. Humility says, I will submit to my brothers and sisters in Christ even if some of the things that they say are different from what I say. There was one other thing that we talked about this year, and it fits into the unity thing, but it was, it's called the pain of pornea. Pornea being the Greek word for sexual immorality, which is any kind of sexual activity that is outside of the balance between uh, the marriage uh, between a man and a woman. And it impacts the church, maybe in an indirect way, but it still impacts the church. And what impacts the church is the wounding that sexual immorality or pornea can have. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality, pornea, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The reason why we call it the pain of pornea is, pornea, again, is sexual immorality, any, any kind of sin outside of marriage. And, and there is a bond that happens between a man and a woman when they give themselves to each other sexually. And if you remember, we had two boards that were glued together. That bond is like glue. And then, you know, I had my hammer and my chisel up here and broke it apart. What happens when two pieces of wood come apart or are forced apart? Some of the pieces of, the, of wood from one are stay glued to the other and vice versa. So you have holes and then you have bumps and that's what happens when... Um, man and woman come together sexually and then they are split apart for whatever reason. It's like a part of you goes with that person that you had sex with and a, a part of them is left on you and you have holes in yourself from what you gave up. And it's this crazy thing. I don't fully understand how it happens. I, I just know it happens. And I've seen it happen. I've seen it tear people apart. And what happens in our culture when we say that sex means nothing is people more and more. 
and they lose their glue, if you remember. They lose their stickiness because they go from one partner to another. Or that's why divorce is so hard because it's a ripping apart. And if you remember, though, this pain of pornea, what's the good thing? The good thing is this, is the grace and love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ because we can invite Jesus into that and Jesus brings healing to that pain, to that wound. He fills the holes. He rubs off the rough edges from the other person. It's a crazy thing. I have seen that happen in people too. They've had pain because of their activity in the past and God brings healing to it. But the point being is immorality, sexual immorality, there's more to it than our culture says. In conclusion this morning, we are going to begin to look at chapters 8 through 10, and this will take us all the way up until Easter, and the title of this part is the main thing. It's kind of continuation of what we started in January, but there's this main theme, thing theme that's going to come as we walk through these next three chapters. We're going to be talking about putting others first, because the main thing is making disciples who make disciples. We're going to talk about surrendering our rights, because the main thing is making disciples who make disciples, and we're going to talk about serving others and idolatry and what that looks like in the 21st century, all through this lens of making sure that we are intentional in keeping the main thing the main thing. And that is to be dusty with Jesus, to have his dust all over us, 